Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, we've got a real busy one for you today, so I'm not going to stretch it out too much. I'm going to uh, get right to my points as fast as I possibly can. But just to give you a heads up who's going to be joining me, uh, Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage in a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to have a chat with Dave and we're going to talk about some of the stress test stuff that's going on. Uh, a little bit later, I've got Harry Fine from Harry Fine Paralegal Services. Harry's been on the show before and uh, with the, uh, the recent release about the Ford government wanting to do something for landlords, I thought no, no one better to go to than than Harry. And uh, later on in the hour, I've got Tim Hudak, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. He's going to be joining me, and uh, we're going to be talking about some of the new rules and regulations and uh, and REBA, the Real Estate Business Brokers Act. Some of the changes that could be coming up. So you don't want to miss any of it. And if you do, remember you can go to News Talk 1010, click on Simply Real Estate, and, and catch myself. SoundCloud account and you'll be able to listen to the show at any time whenever wherever you are so it's going to make it a little bit easier uh, again before uh, before I go down the the rabbit hole of real estate um, need to let everybody know don't forget about our our seminar coming up on Wednesday that's right Wednesday not a Thursday this time thought I'd mix it up uh, this month because I know some people have uh, things booked for Thursdays uh, you know could, could be kids swimming or something else but you know what make sure you have some free time Wednesday, February the 27th at 7 p.m. is our simple seminar. I'm going to be talking a lot about uh, what we can expect this year in real estate. Also, uh, have you thought of what generational wealth truly means to you? Well, you know, the answer sometimes is investment real estate. There's so much you can do. And of course, we're just finishing up a, a release that we've been doing. Uh, all, most of our stuff is just outside of the GTA, you know, smaller towns in Southern Ontario. Um, how about this for a release? A three bedroom condominium apartment unit for only one forty-two nine, dollars uh, full cash flowing, hands-off management. Yeah, you don't have to worry about a thing, folks, uh, but you own it. It's titled to you, and ultimately, in the end, you're basically getting about 1,150 square feet for $142,000, probably one of the best releases we've ever done. We've only got a few left, so if you want, go to thesimpleinvestor.com, find out about this release. Again, a three-bedroom condo for $142,900, unbelievable, but more importantly, we've got you covered when it comes down to rent and every single month you will have it so you don't want to miss this opportunity and again you can sign up for the simple seminar remember thesimpleinvestor.com is the, the way to go and uh by the way i always love to talk to people about investment real estate and real estate in general and we have a great conversation normally so 7 p.m wednesday february 27th so joining me now is dave butler from butler mortgage uh, you'll recognize dave he's been on the show oh numerous times always a pleasure to have him on the show and welcome back dave hey todd thank you very much i appreciate it you know it's interesting every time i th think of having a conversation with you i think um, gee what should we talk about and well you know what mortgages normally comes to mind when i think about you and your butler mortgage so uh dave a lot going on in the news recently and it seems that um it, the the powers to be of the real estate boards want to put some uh, some stress onto osfi to uh, revisit the stress test yeah, we're he we're hearing all the same stuff. I mean, uh, everything you're hearing is is, is all true. Um, it's, I mean, the reality is that, like you and I, I mean, we're in this every day. So, I mean, we're seeing the activity level. Um, you know, I think that you know, and, and I think we would both agree to this. I think that they know they have to ramp this up 
for the spring market. I think that it's we're in a soft position right now in the market. Um, and if they don't do something, um, we could see further softness going into what is generally considered the strongest part of the year for real estate. So it definitely doesn't surprise me that um, the, real, real, the real estate board and even the mortgage broker associations um, does not surprise me that they're putting a lot of pressure on Ofsted. Yeah, so just for clarity, uh, OSFI stands for the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions. Um, and again, they're kind of the governing body that's uh, controlling the financing that's out, out in the big bad world, federally, not just uh, provincially. And, you know, that stress test that came in obviously definitely had the effect, I think, that they were trying to achieve January 2018. You know, and as you mentioned, Dave, are you finding, you know, here here we are, you know, almost into the middle of February. Um, you know, I know I know that, you know, Butler Mortgage, you guys are always busy. But that said, looking at the overall market, you know, we, we've had some weather issues. You know, obviously the weather hasn't been that great for the last few weeks. But truth be told, it seems like the market's just a little bit quieter than it should be at this time of year. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I actually was talking to several different mortgage brokers in different parts of the country when I was at a recent uh, broker conference for Scotia Bank, and the Alberta brokers in particular, and the Vancouver brokers, you know, in BC, they were they were very very concerned. Uh, their numbers were down. Um, they had that kind of sky is falling look on their faces. Um, I did speak to a lot of Ontario brokers. It seemed hit or miss. Um, you know, some some of the guys were still pumping out their, you know, some good volume, um, but others were certainly suffering. So, I, I you know, I, with, with regards to the stress test, I think one of the important things to look at that you and I have talked about is that um, when the stress test was implemented, you know, the market was on a heater, interest rates were still rather low. Um, the stress test, I mean, it, it had its merits. What I think is different now is that, We've seen, you know, in my opinion, a pretty rapid rise in rates. I mean, we've got the government has increased the prime rate by 1.25% in the last 18 months, um, which when you throw in a stress test that is now using a higher qualifying rate and then start increasing the rates, I mean, we've got this qualifying rate today on a conventional mortgage is sitting in the upper fives, close to 6%. That is very tough to qualify for on today's prices. So I think there needs to be some amendment at least instead of 2% higher than the contract rate on, on a conventional mortgage, maybe 1% given today's higher interest rates, but something should be done because if it's not, I don't see incomes rising drastically in the near future to be able to offset this. You know, and, and I think, I think for some people, they think it's music to their ears because they think that the market's going to have a massive self-adjustment, which we know that, you know, if, if, if we follow the bouncing ball right now, you know, we've, we've had what they would deem to be a soft landing. And yet we're looking at things saying this year, you know, okay, if prices go up by 1%, 2%, okay, we're going to start kind of playing in the inflationary numbers, which, which again, it, I, I would say is more of a healthy market because we didn't have a massive adjustment. Mm -hmm. But if, if, if we take a look at what's going on, I mean, right now we can even hear that the, uh, the Bank of Canada is not as bullish this year. Uh, you know, I, they're, they're, they're second guessing the number of increases that they could possibly do. And you've got, you know, pretty much the world starting to take a harder look at these increases, as did the uh, the Fed last month. 
you know, considering looking at the interest rate saying, okay, well, well, you know, maybe we're not going to be so aggressive. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, the idea that, and I think amendment is the perfect word for it, but you know, when they, when they threw this stress test in, this was based on people that were putting 20% down or more that they wanted to have an effect on. And, you know, when, when somebody has the ability, I think of, of being able to save up or come up with 20%, does that not show that they are a, 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 you know, I not, I'm not going to say they're not a risk, but I mean, they've got to be a pretty valid client at that. Yes. Oh my God. You, literally it's bingo. You hit it right on the head. I mean, I think we can all agree that a stress test for 5% and 10% down payment to protect um, the banks and the insurers makes sense. I get that. But it's exactly to your point, if you have the propensity to have saved or have enough equity in a home that you sold where you can put down 20% or more, um, where is where is where is the uh, advantage to that? In my opinion, I mean, you know, what's crazy, Todd, is that today when you're putting down 20% or more down payment, did you know that the qualifying rate is actually higher than if you were qualifying at five or 10% down? Like that's the joke of this whole thing is that at 5% down today, the stress test rate is 5.34. It's the Bank of Canada five-year posted rate. Today, on a 20% down or more mortgage, the qualifying rate is 2% above the contract rate. So if the interest rate is, say, 3.69, the, the qualifying rate, the stress test, is 5.69. So what, like, it, there is zero, it, it literally it blows my mind when these rules came out because it literally makes no sense. A lot of mortgage brokers, and I'm sure the public, were scratching their heads saying, well, wait a second, why am I the same risk of someone that's putting down 5 or 10%? It does not make sense. I don't know who made these rules, but whoever did, there wasn't clearly a lot of thought put into it. Well, you know, and and to your point, you know, we obviously saw the massive, you know, adjustment in the U.S. market back in 2009, but that's because nobody had any earned equity into a property. When we start talking about 20, 25%, I mean, that's a substantial number, especially when, you know, if you're taking a look at your average detached house price, uh, you know, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars you know, Dave, we're, 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 we're pushing to $250,000 worth of equity built into a property. Not many people, I think, today are willing just to fold up and walk away from that. But when we talk about, you know, more of a CMHC insured mortgage at 5% or 10%, you know, that's not a number that people, you know, are, are really going to second guess too much about walking away from. Oh, I agree. If you buy a house for 900000 and put in a very minimal down payment, if things go bad, I mean, you're going to, you're going you're gonna to run and, and, and there's really no, no real big loss to them. Uh, you know, but a hundred percent, I mean, if, who is going to run away from 200,000 plus in equity in a home or 100,000 plus? I mean, it doesn't, you know, it's just some of this stuff that was done, I think was a knee jerk reaction. I think we can, you know, you and I've talked about this before, you know, they, they were put under a lot of pressure when the house prices started just going in a parabolic form, if you will. Um, and so of course, you know, we, we, we threw on the uh, foreign buyers tax and then we decided we're going to change the mortgage rules and then we're going to change and add this, make this crazy stress test. And then we're going to do it on, as well for people that are putting down 20% or more. I mean, it just felt like they were just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what would stick. And then they finally realized, Oh, we finally did enough that it's caused a bit of a swing on the other way in the other way with, with real estate. And, and again, I think when I talked to you on the last time, uh, the last time I was on the show, I'm hearing for I've talked to some higher ups at some of these banks and these people at Offsea and these government regulars, they're patting themselves on the back. They they actually think they've done a great job here. So 
I mean, certainly you could look at that and say you've done your job, but is it a good job? I guess 2019 is going to be a telling story. <laughs> well, Dave, it's always a pleasure. And you know what? Since you say 2019, we'll definitely stay in touch and keep some updates rolling with you because, uh, again, I think it's going to be one of those spring markets to watch. So uh, real pleasure having you on the show as usual. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Todd. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, folks. That was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And coming up after the break, I've got Harry Fine from Harry Fine Paralegal. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my guest joining me uh, is no stranger to the world of real estate, investment, real estate, landlord, tribunals. It is Mr. Harry Fine, and he's from Harry Fine Paralegal Services. And I had Harry on uh, last summer and it was a great conversation and thought we'd bring him back because there's a lot of changes going on in the world of real estate oh, and so much uh, going on yeah harry welcome back to the show i'm glad to be back so you know one of one of the things um, that i i think i wanted to make sure that our listeners understand is that you've been in the industry for quite a while now and you've been an advisor you've been uh, you do you do a lot of kind of seminar style informational I'm an influencer things. and a long time participant in the industry 18 years i was an adjudicator of the landlord tenant board and then a paralegal now for 15 years. Wow. And and since since you left, they, they haven't hired any more adjudicators as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> I'm sure you and I have lots to talk about today. Um, you know, one of the, the, the biggest headline, of course, in the news this week, and I definitely wanted your opinion on this, was that the Ford government is considering ways to speed up evictions. And this, for some landlords, I think they thought this was just music to their ears. But, I mean, when you kind of strip it away, yes and no. I mean, some of the things that they were talking about. So can you, can you, you know, kind of give us an overview sure. of what you, what you understand what they're talking about? Well, right now, nobody knows for sure. There's, uh, there's no bill introduced. There's a paper that's going around. And I know there have been consultations, and I've been part of consultations, and I've sent some submissions to the ministry. But it's funny how the papers are picking up on this speed-up evictions, speed-up evictions. And, and I think a lot of the tenant groups are picking up on that because it's a great uh, headline to fight against. Oh, you know, poor tenants were being evicted. But, uh, but there's a lot of changes, I think, that we're going to be looking at. Um, speeding up evictions has many, you know, faces to it. Uh, the government, the Ford government talked about reducing the number of days uh, after an eviction order, if I read it correctly, uh, you know, down from 11 to 6 before you could file with the sheriff. And then rather than having to go to the provincial government sheriff, you could go to a commercial bailiff because the sheriff can add some time. But, you know, that's that's getting the headlines because that's, you know, fast evictions. But that really doesn't cut off much time. You know, that cuts off a week. And the problems people aren't are having are not the week. It's the months. And to get rid of the months of delay, you have to look at things like adjudicator hiring. Uh, right now, when I was at the board, if it was a rent application, um, once you've filed the application, you'd be at the board in three weeks. Now it's two months, two and a half months, three months. So that's where the delay is. The delay has little to do with the uh, sheriff enforcement and the time after the eviction. There's another time period they should look at. You know, for some reason, when a tenant is supposed to pay rent on the first of the month, a landlord cannot uh, file the application to the board until the, um, uh, the, the 16th of the month because they have to 
on the 2nd, give them an N4, wait for 14 days, which is the 16th, and file on the 17th. So that's the time period they should be looking at. Looking at the newspaper stories, it sounds like the government is looking at speeding things up by bringing back the pre-2007 default judgments for tenants because about half the tenants don't show up for rent hearings and the board wastes their resources uh, having hearings for all those things. And what they used to do prior to 2007 is, is the tenant would have a period during which they could file a dispute and say, hey, I don't know the rent, and, and here's why. But the McGinty government took that away and sent everything to a hearing, even if the tenant doesn't dispute and doesn't plan to show up. It sounds to me like they're going to bring that back, which I think would be a great thing. So there, there's lots of ways to speed up the system. Um, uh, but certainly hiring more adjudicators, uh, bringing back default judgments. There's another one that's, that really slows things down. You know, Todd, if you are a landlord bringing a rent application to the LTB, so you get to the hearing, you get to the LTB the morning of your hearing, you figure it's about rent, the tenant owes you $6,700, and the tenant stands up without having told you ahead of time, without having filed an application, and the tenant says, I have cockroaches, I have mold, I have heat that's not working. Tenants are allowed to raise these issues at a rent hearing without filing their own application, despite the fact they could have filed their own application or told the landlord about it. So what does the landlord do? Yeah, landlord, you know, Harry, what, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but one of the things, um, as, as you know, I'm also a landlord and, and we manage you know, over a thousand units. And one of the things that I've seen happening over the years is exactly what you just explained is the fact that they almost bring up something fictitious because mm -hmm. they're, they're they're trying to avoid paying rent but legally um, a tenant cannot withhold rent if there is some form of defect or some issue is that correct that's correct but what happens is the landlord looks at these claims about mold or cockroaches or heat the landlord didn't know about them they may or may not be true as you say and the landlord doesn't really have a choice but to ask for an adjournment. So they say, Madam Adjudicator, I had no idea about this. I need to go back, take pictures, check it out, maybe have a contractor, but I didn't know about this stuff. So the landlord gets his adjournment because it's not fair to have the matter heard without him knowing. And that means he doesn't come back for six or eight more weeks. So there's two free months of rent. They need to get rid of what we call Section 82 of the RTA, which McGinty brought in in 2007, where a tenant can raise any issues without notice. There needs to be disclosure requirements, and they need to delink rent applications and um, you know sudden claims by tenants, because that's a huge uh, delay factor. You know, it's interesting that you that you talk about this because when when we take a look at some of the situations that are out there today, you know, a tenant just doesn't pay rent for whatever reason. They haven't really given much of an excuse, but yet they're you know they can delay, 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 and then you know you can have uh, perhaps the, the the judge or the mediator turn around and suggest a a payment schedule for all the back rent. So it doesn't bring it all forward. I mean, you know, if, if you were to lease a car, you can't go to leasing and say, hey, listen, can I pay you partial lease payments and, mm -hmm. and I get to keep my car? So this is, this is one of the things, I think, the obstacles that we see as being landlords. I think there will always be payment plans at the board. 
And payment plans aren't a terrible thing if the tenant can pay it back. Um, the problem is when adjudicators impose a payment plan on you rather than um, you agreeing with the tenant, and the tenant doesn't have a job, and the tenant doesn't have any assets. And the story about the um, tax refund coming in or the inheritance coming in or the accident settlement coming in, there's no proof, and they're, they're bogus. And the adjudicator orders a repayment plan, which the tenant will breach, which just means by the time the tenant leaves, he owes another two months' rent. So payment plans are great. If the tenant's had a rough time, tenant's back on their feet, tenant can pay their rent plus uh, over, let's say, a three-month period, repay the rent. That's, I don't have an issue with that. Okay, so I'm going to have you hold that thought. We're going to go to a quick break because I do want to come back to that. Uh, folks, when we come back, I've got Harry Fine joining me. He is from Harry Fine Paralegal Services, and we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I've got Harry Fine, and he is from Harry Fine Paralegal Services. And uh, Harry's got vast experience in talking about landlord-tenant issues. And just before the break, Harry and I were discussing the Ford government's, uh, you know, the considering ways to speed up evictions. Um, Harry, just before the break, you and I were talking about, you know, the potential of tenants making payment plans when they fall too far behind rent. I, I, I think that's, and, and I hate to put it this way because I'm going to I'm gonna really put on my landlord hat for a second and I'm going to mm-hmm. say, kumbaya, that's great that we're going to be nice to a tenant. But, you know, they made an agreement in a lease saying that they're going to pay this much per month. And, you know, when you take a look at some of the people out there, I mean, Unfortunately, there's this misperception about landlords, first and foremost, is that they're all getting rich. You know, they all drive fancy cars. You know, some of these people barely can scrape by just to get the down payment for an extra property. They're trying to create something for their future down the road. And yet they are now being told that they have to make a payment plan, even though they're the ones who had to pay their mortgages, their property taxes, their condominium fees, you know, all these expenses. I, I, I do struggle with the mindset that says we owe the tenant anything if the tenant hasn't paid. And and I'm sorry, I'm being a little, you know, uh, abrupt. No, no about I, it. I get it. But, you I know, mean, you know, when, 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 when somebody's got to make a mortgage payment, you can't go to the bank and say, well, my tenant's going to give me a partial payment. I'll give you a partial payment on my mortgage payment. Now, the, the RTA is a political document. Governments, whether it's conservative or liberal, they don't want to see people out on the street. If the government doesn't want to put money into housing. Um, clearly, there's a housing crisis. So this so is a conspiracy theory is what you got going well, the, the, the government wants to put the onus on landlords. Landlords are easy targets, you know, like you say, <clears throat> big, bad, rich landlords. So the legislation does um, permit the adjudicator, in, in fact, the legislation requires the adjudicator before any eviction to consider all the circumstances and see if he can come or she can come up with some other way to make the landlord whole again. But often it fails. Okay. So, you know, let's, let's, let's kind of fast forward because a lot more things happening in the news, obviously. Um, you know, we hear the rent evictions. We hear of issues that tenants are struggling. So I'm going to flip, I'm going to flip my hat over and I'm going to be a tenant for a minute. Um, you know, tenants definitely have rights. You know, uh, if they've signed a contract, they're paying. Uh, they do have the rights of making sure that you know the property is what they what was represented. But we're we're hearing uh, you know a couple of the horror stories out there that you know there are there are bad landlords that are taking adva- taking advantage of a situation. They're forcing people out because they see this huge gap in in rent right now because rents have started to climb. Um, you know, what can tenants actually do to be able to mitigate through this? Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. It's this 
crazy Ontario and in particular Toronto uh, appreciation in rents that have perverted the old way of thinking. And they've, they've really made the RTA um, not deal with this properly. Because if I have a condo and I'm getting 2000 a month and I have a buddy with a, who owns a condo in the same building on the same floor, the same size, and he's getting 2800 bucks a month, landlord figures this is crazy. I've got rent control. I'm going to get 1.8% a year while new tenants are paying 800 bucks more. It does force landlords to do bad things. I'm not saying they should do it, but I understand their motivation because rent control locks landlords into these low rents until the tenant finally wants to leave. So what do landlords do? They do this rent eviction thing that you talked about. But it's funny how the media and the tenant advocacy groups, they focus on rent evictions, but it is actually not that common because the law in Ontario says if I give the tenant a notice called an N13 notice that he has to move out because I'm doing extensive renovation, first of all, the tenant doesn't have to leave. He can make the landlord file an application. So we go to court. I prove I'm doing the renovation. The board can evict the tenant. And when I finish the renovation, I have to give the tenant the right to move back in into what was a dump and is now a beautifully renovated place at the same rent. So why would any landlord take this rent eviction route? I think the reason you hear the word rent eviction so much in the news is because it's a cute word. Um, <laughs> what's, what's really happening, which is harmful for tenants, bad on landlords, but I understand why they're doing it, is phony applications by landlords to move in themselves or a family member or a purchaser. The owner-occupied, so this is when, and if somebody sells it, they say, I'm going to owner-occupy, they kick the tenant out within 60 days of taking title. But, and but they, don't, they don't move in, they just they go and rent it out again for 800 bucks a month more. Right. That is huge. In fact, I would say that of all the what we call landlords and purchasers on use applications or notices served, it's called an N12 notice, I would say 80% of them are phony. That's a huge number. But government should, say, should ask itself, well, why is this happening? It's happening because rent control is punishing landlords where the tenants uh, can't move out. And remember, today it's tougher and tougher for tenants to move out because if they do, then there's no rent control in their new place you know, until they've moved in. So tenants stay forever. Landlords' condo fees are going up 6% a year. Their mortgages are renegotiated at a higher rent. Uh, everything's going up. Their taxes are going up. And yet, and then they get a special assessment on their condo because it had Kitech plumbing and it had to be pulled out. So landlords, particularly in condos where they don't control the costs, are cash flow negative, I would say, in 75% of condo rentals. It's, it's shocking. So what do they do? They say, my son's moving in. Or they say, uh, I'm selling it and the purchaser's moving it. And more often than not, it's phony. Yeah. And, and you know, this is, again, always making the news nowadays because everybody is saying poor tenant. But, you know, when, when I flip over and take a look at the number of applications in at the board right now that says for non-payment of rent, I mean, it's quite extensive as well. So we kind of have, we've got two negative sides happening. And I just don't know if there's a middle ground for, for it to be met anytime soon. Because, again, we have to have government intervention. First and foremost, they need to create more, you know, uh, rental properties. I think the idea with the Ford government considering ways to speed up evictions, I think they're trying to 
attract people co- to come back into I, ownership. I too. And I, I've written before and I've put in my submissions to government that they could open up hundreds of thousands of rental units, basement apartments, first of all, by yep. allowing secondary suites, by allowing rooming houses. But even if they allow those things, landlords are leaving. Small landlords are leaving the business in droves. They're frightened. They had no idea what they were getting into. They had no idea a tenant could trash their place and they can't get rid of them. You know, we, we talk about you know rent control um, and, and quick evictions as being the big issues. But there's other issues that the Ford government needs to look at. For instance, right now, there's confusion about utilities. A tenant's supposed to pay utilities in their lease. And so they go to the landlord-tenant board, and the LTB says, we don't deal with utilities. So they go to small claims court, and small claims court says, we don't deal with utilities. So right now, there's a lot of legal jurisdictional issues that abound. They need to fix them. They're easy to fix. Um, And I hope the Ford government's looking at them. Yeah, and you, you, know, you and I touched on this uh, back last summer. But you know, one of the, one of the things I've tried to encourage, um, you know, in in all avenues, is the fact that the idea of creating, you know, the, some of these residential uh, properties, turning them into duplexes and triplexes, legalizing them, and allowing them to have split titles, as they do in you know places like the U.S. And that way, you know, basically, you can turn around. You can either buy or rent, and so you know, an entire house can actually be three units as we talked about you know basement apartments legalization being able to register them now so that the banks actually identify them as a a legal entity would be very important and i think that that might you know as you say unclog some of this this issue that we've got such a logical uh, answer and instead what's happening is landlords are renting out in huge numbers illegal basement apartments sometimes you know one basement apartment Sometimes, unfortunately, splitting it up into student housing with five basement apartments. But whichever it is, it's likely illegal. And if they legalized it and regulated it, at least we wouldn't have, you know, about uh, six months ago in Scarborough, there was a terrible case of a young uh, international Chinese student, 18 years old, and she died in a basement uh, stuffed with students where there was uh, no fire safety equipment, despite the fact it was illegal. Uh, it's underground, and when it's underground, there's no inspections and no requirements uh, that are followed. Uh, you've got to legalize other types of occupancy because in Toronto and in Ontario, we have a crush of people moving in. Where are we going to put them? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, listen, Harry, it's been a real pleasure to have you back on the show, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. And you and I can keep our eye on the government and see if they plan on making things a little bit better. We'll um, see what they do. <laughs> of course, I know our, our listeners can reach out to you at Harry Fine Paralegal Services. And if I'm not uh, mistaken, that's hfinparalegal.ca. So, you got it. Excellent. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Harry. Thanks, Todd. Folks, that was Harry Fine. And when I come back, I've got Tim Hudak joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my next guest joining me, of course, is no stranger to our station here. You can always catch him tomorrow, Sunday at 5 p.m. on the Tim Hudak Show. And it is Mr. Tim Hudak. He is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association and been a frequent guest here at Simply Real Estate. Always to have a pleasure with uh, Tim. And Tim, welcome back to the show. 
Yeah, good afternoon, Todd. Thanks for being back on. You've been very kind to me in 2018, and you invited me back our first show together in 2019. I know. It's awesome, you know. And, Tim, you know, it's amazing because even though we are now sitting in February, lots going on in the real estate world, you know, lots of conversation about rules and regulations and and maybe some changes that are coming down the pipe, which I think could... I can say change the face of real estate, but I definitely think it could open it up. And, uh, you know, I want to talk to you about that today because the the Real Estate and Business Brokers Act, uh, it seems a little dated and you've really been kind of spearheading a charge to see if they can bring it into, you know, at least, you know, bring it up to speed is a better way of putting it. So what do you think? Yeah, that's exactly right, Todd. Well, that's what I mentioned last year. You had me on the show last year about some of the ideas that the Ontario realtors are putting on the table because you're absolutely right. The legislation that sets the rules for real estate transactions was written in 2002. And 2002, well, it has a two at the beginning, was a long time ago. I mean, the iPhone was not invented yet. Social media did not exist. And most real estate transactions were done by something called a fax machine. <laughs> Only people over 40 ever heard of that, or maybe they run a pharmacy or doctor's office. Anyway, we need to bring the real estate rules into the 21st century. We need to reflect modern practices. And our bottom line goal here, Todd, is that when you're making the biggest transaction of your life in Ontario, buying or selling a home, we want that realtor at your side to be the highest trained individual anywhere in North America with high professional standards and with the most modern real estate tools. And if they break the rules, strict discipline from the regulator to make sure we raise the bar continually. Yeah, now you, you you did touch on something right there. And, you know, I always like to make sure that our listeners understand the process and the fact that if, if there is something, if they feel that they've been wronged, you know, if they feel that there's been a rule broken, you know, that they know that there is a governing body that actually mandates the behavior of the, of the professional realtor, which is called RICO, the Real Estate Council of Ontario and that they can actually make a formal complaint and then they actually have investigators that will you know delve into it um so they can get a proper answer um tim are are, are you finding you know um i mean you are basically you know you're the ceo of the biggest real estate association in canada um are, are you finding that you know uh, rico is still playing a good part as a bit of a watchdog um, so we, we've partnered with RICO on a lot of suggestions. As you mentioned, RICO is the watchdog. They're sort of the court for, you know, bad behavior, consumer complaints. So let me give you some examples. And, you know, now fast forward to 2019. The good news is, is that Premier Doug Ford, uh, who spoke in November at our conference, we talked to him about the importance of modernizing the rules. He's responded. And his minister for consumer services, Bill Walker, has now put out a consultation paper that has a lot of the ideas that Ontario Realtors put on the table that you and I talked about last year and the regulator likes as well. So let me give you a couple of quick examples. First of all, we suggest we should get rid of the two-tier consumer protection that exists in the province of Ontario. If you buy a resale home through a realtor, if something goes wrong, you can go to the regulator. If you buy a new home through a builder, there's not the same level of consumer protection. We need to fix that and get rid of the two-tier. We think, for example, that RICO should have a greater ability to levy fines that reflect the modern real estate market, not the level of housing in 2002 that's in legislation. And for those who break the rules, to kick them out of the profession, don't give them a slap on the wrist. And finally, for the realtors listening today, the, the proposal from the government that was our proposal originally 
is to allow them to form their own personal real estate corporations that exists for a whole whack of other professions in Ontario and for realtors in six other provinces. That's finally on the table as well. Yeah. So a couple, a couple of things that uh, I, I think that we need to have a discussion about today would be the idea of changing the multiple representation scenario. You know, this is this is one I know that's kind of near and dear to, to your heart because it's one that comes up a lot and it's a conversation that people have to understand. Um, Tim, can you, can you kind of set the scenario, uh, you know, why people should and shouldn't do multiple representation? Yeah, well, look, this is pretty complicated, but here, here's the basics. Um, that multiple representation occurs if there are, you know, two realtors involved in a transaction from the same brokerage or maybe the same individual who's acting on behalf of both a buyer and a seller in that brokerage. And this, you know, happens particularly in small-town Ontario, in commercial markets, or where realtors have an area of specialization. The bottom line we've said as Ontario Realtors is, let consumers make an informed choice. There should be clear language so they understand the rights and responsibilities and the rules of the game if a realtor is acting on behalf of both a buyer uh, and a seller. But look, I, um, I had wonderful service from a realtor who works for Chestnut Park, Peter McClellan, when Deb and I sold one home and bought another. And if we want to move up and get more space because the kids are growing up and Peter has a listing, I as a consumer should have a right to use Peter as the agent, even if he's listing the home. That's the bottom line for us. Right. One of, one of the things that um, I think the biggest part of the craze back in 2017, you know, when, when the market was out of control, I think this is where you know, the, the idea of the multiple representation really came into play because people weren't, you know, absolute sure that they were being represented correctly, but more importantly, if they were paying the right price. And I think that that was one of the things that people struggled with. I think it's very fair. You know, one lesson I learned in my 21 years of politics is to think deeply before you bring in massive changes to the system. You shouldn't have a knee-jerk reaction based on the marketplace of the day because you don't know what's going to happen the next month or the next year. And certainly 2019 is a very different real estate market than the, you know, crazy spring of 2017. All that having been said, you know, many real estate firms, brokerages put in place if there's a multiple offer. So there's a number of different offers on a home from the same as a listing agent or others within the brokerage that they put up a sort of Chinese wall, so to speak, to make sure that no information is shared, no confidential information is exchanged. That's against the rules. They put these rules into place. So I'd say let's go to a world of best practices to make sure it's an honest and transparent transaction uh, as opposed to blowing up the system altogether. Just We should not take away the consumer's right to choose a realtor they know, they like, and they trust. And when they did that in British Columbia, Todd, it became a huge mess. Yeah. One other thing, of course, is the idea of the multiple offers, Tim. And, you know, there's the open offer process that, uh, you know, is is out there. Some people call it an auction. And I know, uh, you know, looking at some of the rules and regulations that have been out there, of course, you know, realtors have to d- divulge how many offers, but they don't divulge anything about the offer. Um, do you think it's a better approach for people to have that in a multiple offer scenario? You know, again, the the approach that the Ontario Realtors have taken is to give consumers a choice. So you described it quite well, Todd. Traditionally, when you are in a offer position, that information is between you uh, and the seller. If there are multiple offers, you know if there's six other people involved or two. Those are the rules. What we have suggested is to say, look, if everybody is willing, both the seller and buyers, to put all their cards on the table, to say not only what the offer price is, but 
closing dates, down payments. I mean, even who gets the fridge or the washing machine. If you want to do that, that should be allowed. Right now under the rules, that's very much a gray area. So give them a choice. However, the government's consultation document says, well, maybe make that the rule all the time. Here's a concern I have. There's probably nothing more sacred next to your healthcare information than your personal finances. And asking everybody to lay out bare a lot of personal detail around their finances to a bunch of strangers, and who knows where that goes, I think that tramples over privacy rights that we as Canadians hold dear. So making it mandatory goes too far. Make it a choice instead. Yeah, you know, I think I think it'll be interesting to find out. Um, you know, once they once they get back some of the surveys and and some of the information that they're trying to gather at this time, to really see where the where the industry is going to go. Um, one last note, of course, this week, you know, we heard uh, we heard the rumors that the Ford government's considering ways to speed up evictions, and you know, of course, there's the buy and sell of real estate, but there, of course, is there's the setting up of leases, and you know, one of the things I think that um, had been set up with the landlord tenant board before was that be, with the lack of adjudicators, it's been a longer and longer process for people to get evictions. They're actually looking at it, saying, "Hey, listen, if we speed up evictions, maybe we're going to attract more landlords to the actual world." world of uh, investment real estate, which could potentially open up the idea that we could have more units. Do you think this is a pretty valid uh, point? Yeah, I, I do. Look, I, I'm putting my old hat on along with my new ones. I'm wearing two hats. But, you know, as an MPP, Todd, I saw so many mom and pop landlords come into my office at Witsend. I mean, this is their investment, their retirement savings, and they run into some professional tenant who trashes the place, knows the system doesn't put a dime into the apartment and takes off somewhere, right? So I think you actually have to restore some balance between tenants' rights and those of the landlords, particularly for mom and pops. If we really want to increase supply and rental units are at a premium right now, you've got to even the scales. You should eliminate rent controls uh, as well, which the Ford government has talked about doing going forward so they make investments. You know, I, I think they've done a really good job in paying attention to the real estate file, and I hope some of the ideas that we put on the table that they're responding to, like different classes of licensed for realtors. If you're a commercial specialist or condo or agriculture, that should mean something. There should be specialty courses. We agree with that. And a stronger regulator to say, let's raise the bar when it comes to education and training. So you've got the best leaders in North America. Right now, it's too easy to get into the profession. And here's one more I'll throw in. I'm running out of time here, Todd, but the government put on the table a really neat idea, too, that if you make money in real estate by illegal means or breaking the rules, and the fine is less than that, that's going to be a slap on the wrist. There's a concept called disgorgement, which means every penny you make by breaking the rules, you got to pay back. You can't put it in your own pocket. Wow. You know what? I hope that the realtors listen to that one, Tim, because they should be shaking in their boots because, you know, some of the fines, as you had mentioned, you know, they get a $50,000 commission, but if they only have a $5,000 fine, sometimes they outweigh it and say, okay, uh, you know, I get to keep 45. It'd be nice to see them, you know, here, here's here's the entire amount. I think it would definitely uh, stifle a lot of agents from crossing the line. So, Well, look, I think it's a very small minority, but for every one of those that hurts a consumer or client, we would rather have them outside of the profession than bringing people down and taking advantage of them. Excellent. Well, listen, Tim, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And, you know, our listeners have to definitely catch it tomorrow at 5 p.m. on the Tim Hudak Show. And uh, look forward to chatting with you more in the spring. And we'll keep our eyes on what's happening in the market and how things change. 
Fantastic, Todd. Thanks for the time, and have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Folks, I was Tim Hudak, and he is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Boy, does an hour ever fly by quickly. Um, you know, I just want to thank my guests, uh, Tim Hudak, uh, Harry Fine, and Dave Butler. Uh, you know, just fabulous to talk to these people about real estate, what's going on in the world. And it's so diverse. There's so much to talk about when you talk about real estate. You know, I think that's why it's probably the number one topic on everybody's tongue at the water cooler. Uh, I also want to thank Ian and Andre. They always keep it simple for me. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk about real estate. Uh, remember, Simple Seminar coming up on Wednesday, February the 27th at 7 p.m. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register today. So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.